0: Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. It's the podcast where I speak to bands and artists about how they find that balance, how they find the right kind of place to keep playing their music in a world where it's increasingly harder to do so to keep that momentum to keep that inspiration and that's something that today's guest michael taylor of his golden messenger knows a bit about we find out on this episode sort of what it took and how long it took before music could really find the right rhythm in his life and i think the kind of relief that he's feeling or that enlightenment is something that really comes out on his new record jump for joy which is out tomorrow got a lot more of a spring in its step since 2021's quietly blowing it michael writes a great newsletter called the kitchen table speculator which we talk about in this but i don't think i probably explained to anyone else what that is if you don't know um and i was going to do an episode with slaughter beach dog today but that's going to come in a couple of weeks now um, want to shout out my brother. I want to thank my brother, my older brother, Will, for introducing me to his golden messenger. And Will appears later in this episode as well. So you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review and you can dispel your undying love for everything that I'm doing here. Or you can just leave a few words of kindness and leave five stars. That'd be greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you and sorry for asking this is my chat with michael taylor his new album jump for joy is out tomorrow it's going to be brilliant this is his golden messenger 101 part-time jobs Where you live has got such a profound impact on the way that you see the world, right? And the the conversations you have with the people behind the bar or behind the counter at the shop, they inform our world.
1: Right. Yeah, that's right.
0: Where have you been? Like, where have you lived mostly? Where, where's been the most inspiring place for you to live?
1: I have lived a few places in my life that probably had an impact on what I do um, creatively. I went to school uh, in Santa Barbara, California and um, you know I was young then uh, and I didn't understand anything about anything really and was just just you know kind of picking up an instrument for the first time like starting to think about I don't I don't think I was even thinking about writing songs I was just you know just kind of plonking around and playing music with friends and stuff like that. So um you know, having I don't know if you know Santa Barbara but it's like I don't. incredibly incredibly picturesque um beautiful right on the ocean like lots of beach culture um and and that's kind of what I grew up with because I grew up even further south from Santa Barbara, but my upbringing was as like a sort of beach skateboard kid that found that found music, um, punk rock and and hip hop were like you know this, this this stuff that like kind of seemed to exist on the fringes.
0: And what were those kinds of bands? Were you into? I mean, he talks about skateboarding. I mean, it's exactly the same as me. We grew up skateboarding and that led into punk rock and learning about Black Flag and Minor Threat and Discord. And was that that your, that was your world? It was a kind of, if you want to do it, you can do it?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, my my approach to, um, I think I developed an understanding about music that said that um, if you want to do it, if you want to get something done, it is possible to do it yourself, hmm. um, which is, you know, something that really lives pretty deeply in my heart and still, you know, continues to guide me. Um, and that's why, you know, I have a, I have a, a perspective on maybe the music biz that is slightly different from some of my some of my peers okay. um but anytime i find anyone that came up like in the hardcore world that happens to still be in the music world uh they there's always that shared connection because um you know they like there's a lot of gatekeeping that we kind of as like punk rock kids just kind of skipped over you know mm-hmm. if you wanted to make a record you make a record if you want to mm-hmm. go on tour you book a tour and go do it and-,
0: and what are the characteristics of that look like I mean to me I'm the same of what you've just been talking about I'm exactly the same I never I never waited for the green light to press a record or go on tour and half the shows fall through and you sleep in car parks I guess the characteristics of that is like just not really waiting not like anyone not letting anyone else tell you you can do something before you can do it. And also it's like handshake deals, right? It's like deals made in the bar or the pub and it's trust. It's like you'll be in business with a record label or a promoter or, or a publicity someone doing publicity and it's, it's handshake deals. That's what it says to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, um, having, you know, been where I'm at now for a while and having a, a team of, managers and i have a booking agent um you know all all of whom i love and really you know they really earn their keep with me um i uh I, i can see it all kinds of different ways like i i appreciate the way that the music business functions for me at this moment in time i mean there's a lot of stuff that is worth um you know a longer discussion about the sort of inequities of how the music business functions but um at the same time i'm sort of sympathetic certainly to all the people that i work with they seem to all really earn their keep and i love them Hmm. um but you know at the same time i just um you know i'm the kind of person that really doesn't like to be told no and um I mean, with certain things. If yeah. someone says, like, no, absolutely not, <laughs> I'm not going to push it. But if somebody that doesn't seem to know anything about the music business is telling me no to something that I know is a, a cool or a fun idea, then I'm going to do it, even if it takes me 20 years. That like, That's like the... Uh, That seems like the premise of my musical career.
0: (laughs) That's brilliant. I'm just going to wait a second because it sounds like there's a fucking helicopter right over my head and that's going to come massively through the mic. It might be Prince William coming back in. Oh, I mean, that seems like a very, you know, I started managing this great folk band called Bojockey. And they've been together a year and just the last few months we've been working closely together. And I, I left him a voice note today, the, the songwriter, to say, you know, what we've done the last few months is great. Um, and there's no, it shouldn't be a but. And if it stays like this for the next two years, which is playing shows every few weeks, recording and writing every week, would you be happy with that? You know that level of sustainability where you've gotten to the first rung of the ladder, almost right? You got people coming to your shows, two hundred people coming, um, and I, I guess like my question is like, is there, from your perspective, is there a sustainable? Way for bands to survive like that. I mean, they've always got to have part-time jobs on the sides, on the side at that level. But from your perspective, you know, your perception and your experience. I mean, is there is there a way to do that and prioritize music?
1: That's that's a complicated one because there's there's the financial sustainability, mm-hmm. of course, which um, you know is sort of the bottom line. Uh, but there's also the creative sustainability that when you enter into a, wor- a world in which you are trying to make music or your creative practice pay your bills, the the creative sustainability is often the first thing that it gets put in jeopardy, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, if you're anything like me, you probably take it for granted that... You're always going to be juiced up to sit down and work on music, um, but I think, as it turns out, the longer you do it, the more you have to really keep an eye on your creativity, and you have to tend, you have to tend to it. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to care for it. Um, and there are some people for whom they might be great musicians, but the the creative part of it might not come quite as easy as for, for other people. Mm. And um, I think that, for just speaking personally, the, the creative part of it in me has been so powerful that it has sustained me when music wasn't even close to paying the bills. I still felt inspired enough to keep, keep pushing at it not because i was trying to make a living but just because it seemed like there was some great mystery there that if i kept if i kept working at it i might something might be revealed to me i don't even know what it would be um you know i mean i was i was in my 40s before i was making a living at music and i start i bought my first tour van when i was 17. so i did wow. it basically for nothing for for at least 23 years um you know if you pose a question like that to a new artist that could be a hard pill to swallow but Mm. that's not the way i was thinking about it i mean i think you know near the end of those years when it when i was making records when when when, you know, I was getting good reviews, when people were starting to come to shows, that might have been a time where I was like, okay, come on. Let's like, I need to like, I can't, I can't, I can't be um, putting as much effort as I'm putting into it right now and still work a full-time job. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't enough hours in the day. It was, it was hard. I mean, there, there, are, there are a lot of, there are many Messenger records that were written either in the very early morning hours or late after everybody was asleep. And I remember thinking, um, after, uh, let's see, around the time of Lateness of Dancers, which was my first record for Merge Records, and, um, also my first record. Uh, that was about the time that I quit my job, but those songs were, um, those songs were still written. Um, well, when I had a job, my kids were both really little. Like my daughter was basically newborn. My son was four years old and I was really writing these songs like in any little sliver of free quiet moment that I had. And, but I remember thinking like, as i was getting ready to finish that record and just think about i was thinking about where i was with um with my with my music and my time
0: yeah
1: i remember thinking like i can't do this anymore i don't think i can write songs like this anymore because like if i want to grow as a songwriter i need to be able to dedicate more time it really is just the time thing it was not even so much money it wasn't like i was Needing to make money is just like I need time, and um, my uh, booking agent, um, who's still my agent, incredible guy, um, was like, and and really has been. Um, he's he's held a unique position in my world just because we talk a lot about stuff out. He's he's again, he's someone like you and I. Like he grew up in the sort of punk rock world he's he's my about my same age um and he's gone on to be super super successful booking agent and Mm -hmm. but he just knows he knows he knows the vibe and um he, he he was just like we we can keep we we can keep on booking shows as we have been doing you can use up your vacation time you can use up your sick time you can travel on weekends he said, I, "I'm glad to do that for you, as long as you, um, as long as you want to do it that way." Yeah. But he said, "I think you probably know this. At a certain point, we're just going to need more time. We need we I I need to like I want to be able to send you out and not have to be worried about getting you back home." Um. And so, like you know, after a couple conversations like that and um, a lot of conversations with with my my wife who was you know she was all gung-ho she was ready for that change to happen because she could see how how difficult it was you know i quit my job and just crossed my fingers and um it's it's worked out i mean there's always going to
0: be over i feel like i've done quite a lot of almost 250 of these episodes and there's never really been like a like you know you have your last day at work and then you're <laughs> then you're making money there's a there's a, a crossover there there's there's a gray area
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i would say it took a couple years or more than a couple years for me to feel comfortable enough that i could like let out a a, a breath and be mm-hmm. like okay this is my job now and like i don't need to be sweating the I don't need to be sweating the the money so much like um and I I got what I wanted which is time and now like okay what are you gonna do with this time you have it um and your brain your brain your brain really doesn't want to work when you're the boss of yourself so like put yourself to work and yeah you know I don't know it is what it is like uh yeah, I, I've stayed busy.
0: It's very interesting to think of that, you know, I think most people play music as a, as a sigh of relief or as an activity to uh, wind down from the other part of their life, which is usually responsibilities or work or school. And so when the thing that you're doing to relax becomes the, the main picture, um, that, that, that must be such an individual journey for, for everyone. What was, I mean, you mentioned it at the end there, but how would you kind of sum up that journey from, from that time of starting to, to merge up until today, up until Jump for Joy?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it is, um, music continues to be my place of solace, even though, um, I am depending on it to make a living. I feel like i've been able to for the most part to protect to protect the creativity to not let it get too muddied up with uh, thoughts of what might sell records or like whatever you know whatever what might appeal to a large group of people or
0: what might 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 be thinking
1: yeah what might make me more money basically right. um like I feel like I've kept the the uh I feel like I've kept my creativity pretty 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 safe um and at this point it's just about like like I said before nurturing that creativity making sure that it that I treat it as a real a real thing that exists and in my life and in the, in in this space and in the lives of, you know, my, my wife and kids and, yeah. um, they understand, you know, we all understand that music is like, um, it's something that is, is really important to me. It is, it is, a, it is the healing force of the universe and, um,
0: the great communicator
1: that all of that. And like, I just don't think, I don't know if I would be here if it if it weren't for music, because music is has gotten me through, um, you know, music has just saved my life. And um, I've never thought of music as a as a as an adversary in any way whatsoever. I'm always super thankful to have it. I'm always listening to music. I'm like a voracious. I still love music as much as I ever did um i'm really thankful for that because i've seen people that have spent a lifetime in music and they're kind of like i don't really listen to music and that's one way that's one way and i don't don't have any judgment about it but i'm always kind of like wow that's that's wild because i listen to music like all the time
0: (laughs) i feel like this might be a bit um this might sound like a a cliche or something like this, but maybe not. I feel like songs are living like songs are living like vessels. They're living like nucleuses and that deserves a lot of respect.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and, you know, so, um, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, songs that I have loved for my entire life never sound the same way, same to me. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't you it? know? And, um, and you know that speaks to to what you're talking about. This idea mm-hmm. that songs change because because we change, and our interpretation of the songs change, and our understanding of language changes from day mm-hmm. to day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the way that I the way that I like to treat my um, my own songs like. It, my catalog is is as an ever changing thing, you know. That's why um, my band has evolved into playing these songs in a way where we're we're approaching them, understanding the general framework, but depending on the song or the the vibe of the night, things change from night to night. They could, you know, some a certain yeah. song could go on for 10 or 15 minutes or we could yeah. just play it straight. Um, yeah. You know, there's lots of bands that, that have done that in the past and um, you know, like the grateful dead or, or jazz, you know, all kinds of jazz bands before mm-hmm. them. Um, and when you're doing that kind of reinterpretation every night yourself, you start to, if you're wired a certain way, I think you start to understand the value in like interrogating the songs over and over again. You're kind of like pushing at them to like to 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 um to like sort of like check in on the meaning or like make sure that make sure that the the parts that make up the song are still sturdy Mm-hmm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i think i think a really sturdy song can can uh deal with any kind of abuse and um you yeah, know i think there are a couple ways to think about that because there are some you know traditional sort of super tra- traditional musicians that would argue that um there's there's one way to play a song. And Mm -hmm. the way that you um, sort of like respect that song the most is by adhering to the 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 rules and how that's, you know, the way that the like that that there's a um, there's like a core text that -hmm. you shouldn't Mm -hmm. stray from. Mm -hmm. And I sort of love that. I love that too. And there, we need that. I think we need that sort of like uh, that type of of conservative. <laughs> that sort of conservatism is important, but that is not me at all. And um, like, I'll take an old song and I'll tear it apart to see how, what I can do with it. You know, I think that's like a very joyful process for me. It's not a, it's not doing violence to a song. It's just like, it's so that you can turn around and be like, see, I mean, this song is so sturdy that I can like do this to it too. And it's, it's totally fine. It still means the same beautiful thing that it means, um, in all the other ways.
0: I think it brings in the audience. It brings the audience into the picture as well. Well, because that kind of holistic, almost Rudolf Steiner school way of um, like doing it, the, you know, like you said, a song evolves over time and our favorite records are probably 50% the record and 50% who we were or what we were going through at that time when we discovered that record and when we fell in love with those, with that music. Yeah. I feel like that uh, that holistic web approach is it kind of makes. And you're a touring musician. You're you're a touring artist. These songs half live on the road, and that makes it so special for us, the audience, the fans, because every night we're gonna get something different, and we're gonna share that. We're gonna share that relationship. That's sacred.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And and you know, I think there are all kinds of different audiences and musicians. Um I, I feel like the type of listeners I'm probably most interested in are the people that are willing to go into those nuanced places with us mm-hmm. and um and understand that we're interpreting these songs kind of like in real time. And mm-hmm. That's not for everybody. I think there are people that just come to a concert and are hoping to hear their songs, the songs that they wanna hear in the way that they know them. And Mm -hmm. I get that, but um, if you're gonna spend a lifetime on the road playing a catalog of songs, um, sort of like reinventing them is one way to keep it alive. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think as we see again and again, um, people, you know, artists with with really deep catalogs that mean something special, they 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 continually are doing that. You look at like someone like Bob Dylan and the way that he plays his songs um, now are are very different from the way that the records from the sixties and seventies sound. And I've seen people at his concerts recently get really like vocally angry about him not playing a certain song or it not sounding the way that they know it. Mm-hmm. But um God, I think it's be I think the way that Bob Dylan and his band play now is like breathtakingly incredible. Mm-hmm. And um I don't know. That's just like <laughs> what some artists have to do, and the Grateful Dead yeah. do it too. And yeah. like I said, you know, jazz, jazz bands.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, certainly, certainly, like when jazz was still a living language. I'm not sure that it is exactly that now, but um, you know. Those songs were being reimagined every every night.
0: Yeah, and it seems like those musicians, you know, they they lived it. They lived the music, and they lived the 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 lifestyle. Definitely, in the case for a lot of people in jazz, and I I, th- I relate that to you because the kitchen table speculator I've been really enjoying reading. My older brother has been uh, anyway, he introduced me to it, and it strikes me not just as a newsletter to keep in touch and to share news like tour dates but it is a window into your world. Yeah. Obviously that you know there's there's so much we can get out of that, but have you found that you've been you've been getting something good out of doing that?
1: I think so. I mean, I I am walking a line. I think all of us are in this in the age of social media where we are revealing things about ourselves and sort of like feeding our egos in a way that would have been unthinkable even 20 years ago. (laughs) Mm. Um, Mm. I am always trying to find that balance between like, what do I need to keep private just for myself? Because that's my own personal space. And what can I share? Like, what, what might be something that feels a little more universal? Um, like if I talk about something like depression or anxiety or hmm. some record that I love, like I'm doing that because I think there are people out there that are going to say like, I feel that too. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I, 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 I do get that back actually. Um, that's like the, you know, those are the comments that I get back the most not not even publicly but just people emailing me back saying like I feel that or my mom struggled with depression my entire life when I was a kid and like I Mm -hmm. you know what I mean it's just Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it becomes a conversation that I think is valuable that goes beyond art into just humanity yeah Um, it's people it's just people yeah, it's, through. it's um, but you know, like there are certain things that I don't really do anymore. Like I don't really put pictures of my kids up on Instagram anymore. And that was something that, you know, f- several years ago I did more of, and it started to seem weird. <laughs> it started to feel a little bit weird for for all kinds of different reasons. So, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. like I said, I'm 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 walking a line. I'm trying to f- figure out what the line is.
0: Yeah. Um I hope so. you uh I mean, tell absolutely fine if you don't want to talk about it, but uh, you mentioned in the in the diary that about when you had the the breakdown before the lead show and canceled the rest of the tour. Oh. That was something, you know, that's a that's a real that's a very transparent you know, and it's, it can be a sentence, a short paragraph, and it's it's very, it's very poignant, very real, very transparent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, um, the irony of that is that I, that was at the Brudenell. You probably know that place. Great place. And, uh, one of my favorite clubs in the world, I would say. Um, and, um, I was getting ready to go on a tour to Australia like right when I got back home from that tour and we were getting ready to buy plane tickets and just all the logistics were swirling around I was like so this was pre-covid right before covid we had no idea covid was on was coming and um I was so fried and, uh, I just like wanted to see my family and be stationary. Mm. And, um, I don't know. I just made this call that I still stand behind it. You know? Um, I mean, I'm sure that, uh, it was upsetting to some people, but you know, I don't know. It is They're what so it nice. is. This was, be- this was before, uh, this was before, um, cancelling tours was as in vogue as it is now <laughs> yeah. um now like you can cancel a tour it's like uh, yeah yeah uh no not not to make light of it but i so it was a hard I, decision uh,
0: for you i mean i i think
1: everyone's was different a, to was, me
0: it's sorry
1: it was a hard decision it's it, it it seems like it was a hard decision like in retrospect or like talking about it now but but um, at that moment in time, the decision seemed completely clear to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have done it had it not been so clear that it was like the cosmos was speaking to me, and just saying, "Like, I mean, cancel the tour." There's, yeah. you know, yeah, no one's yeah. gonna die, but you might die if you go
0: on this tour. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, That's so I in the, hands. the tour, and
1: then and then the irony of that is that. Um, not long after that, COVID came along and that tour would have been canceled anyway. That tour wouldn't even, wouldn't even have happened, so,
0: um,
1: yeah. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what Hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials.
0: part-time jobs 101 part-time jobs 101 part-time jobs 101 part-time jobs I mean jump for joy I don't know why maybe it's a bit of like a Britishness like a bit of sarcasm creeping in is there a bit of sarcasm in the title <laughs> um no I don't
1: think so <laughs> I, I mean it's it's a it's I would say like maybe there's a little bit of corniness to the title, because it's just so kind of straight up. Um, it's certainly like probably the most obvious title that I've that I've used on a record, but I wanted it. I wanted it to be clear. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be clear. I mean, talking about like sort of advocate advocating for joy at this particular moment in time is maybe maybe a little naive, but I just didn't, I wasn't sure. Like after I made Quietly Blowing It, that was 2021. And that record was made in the midst of everything that was happening in the world then. And um, I can just hear I can hear how internal that record is. I, I I really like that record. I think there's a lot of cool songs on that record. It's brilliant. Um, but I, but I can hear how internal I was, and like how just closed closed down I was. And um, I just that was another moment, actually, the finishing of that record and everything that came after where I was like I don't think I can make records quite like that anymore like so quiet and so so inward looking mm. so when I started to think about like what is my what is my posture my public posture moving forward because I know that people you know people often what I hear from people is that they find a certain like hopefulness in my music. And I feel like with quietly blowing it, it was teetering that hopefulness felt to me. I don't know how it sounds to other people, but it felt like it was teetering just a little bit. And I felt like if people are finding hope in my music, then I feel, I want to be able to talk about that in a genuine way. Mm-hmm. And um I think part of being able to do that for me right now is to what has been to recalibrate my ideas about <laughs> I don't know what it means to try and carry hope and whether whether that is something even worth doing because some days it feels like, you know, what the fuck's the point? Uh-huh. But I just I don't know. I don't wanna be that person. I want to be someone that can like be um facing down catastrophe with joy. Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. so as I started to write the songs on Jump for Joy, I was aware of wanting them to be outward facing not not because i was hoping to expand my audience but more that like i wanted to be able to show people like this is here's another another side of of what i do i don't know that the record is going to sound as different to anyone else out there as it does to me but
0: I think the first few singles, yeah, <clears throat> they really, they really sound different. There's a, there's a real sparkle to them.
1: Yeah. I just wanted it to feel fun and spontaneous and alive and, and joyful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, Joy, is there lyric- like a joy
0: in an act of resistance there a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so for sure. I mean, um, to, to decide to, to decide to proceed with, with a joyfulness, which is something that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that every single day, mm. but, um, I probably think about how I might do it every single day. As, whether like, I succeed. as, as like
0: an aspiration almost. Yeah.
1: As, aspirationally, it's not like I'm succeeding at it, but mm. I think my, like the ratio of joyful to, um, you know, whatever the opposite is, is maybe getting a little, a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that really was it. And, and that was really the mission statement from me to, to my band is like, we're going to go in and make a record, um, that feels up and feels like we're pointed outwards. Mm -hmm. And frankly, like it, it really wasn't hard because our live shows are already sort of like that. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something that we've trained ourselves to do over many, many years of playing in places where, like, we're trying to get people's attention. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We're trying to compete with, with alcohol sales. And that's, that's actually just the, the sad truth of it. And the way that we've done that is, like, have become a really ferocious live band. Yeah, um, yeah. That, and sometimes the live renditions of songs are 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 quite different from um, from the recorded versions. But I was just like, yeah, we're gonna take we're gonna take all these new songs, play them like we're playing a show, like play them like we're playing a so um, you know texture and timbre of instruments and different interesting overdubs. That's gonna be that's gonna be a thing like it always has been with our records, but really what we're looking for is like to make a record that feels like it's just kind of exploding. That's what the live shows feel like.
0: So, Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I can't wait to see you when you next come over. And actually that reminds me, my older brother, he's seven years older than me. And when I grew up, all I wanted to do was be him. I just wanted to impress him <laughs> my whole life. And he went to uni and we lost touch for a few years and we just kind of reconnected. And I told him I was doing this interview and he said, he's, he's a huge fan. And he said, ask, ask you if you remember, if a guy in one, in one town in I think it was in Spain, he, he was, he was a few quid short for, for a t-shirt or a record. And he gave you the money in a different country later that tour or a different tour to make up for it. Ah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So he said to say hi. What's his name? Will. Will. Okay. Well, tell, tell, tell him, Hey.
0: I will do. He'll love that. Hey Michael, thank you so much for this. You know, I really live for this stuff. I really live you for hearing you. these hearing these these real life stories. So thank you so much for your time.
1: You're welcome, man.
0: Just to end with, I like to hear about the kind of, you know, like working uh, precarious jobs and playing music. I feel like there's always going to be a few stories of fuck-ups there you know, times that you've like dropped the pan and the shit's gone all over the, all over the floor, metaphorically speaking. That's a bad analogy. But I, I wonder if you've got any anecdotes. I'm putting you on the spot here, but have you got any anecdotes from working a, a job throughout your time playing music and, you know, you've kind of <laughs> like come up against it. You've had, um, you've had, a, you've had an adversity at the time.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like my whole my whole job, my whole life has been me against whatever job I was working. Um, I would say, I mean, I could tell you, I it's mostly that I've had many, many ill-fitting jobs. So jobs that I was not qualified or prepared for and shouldn't have been doing, but had had to be. Um, the one that comes to mind right away is... Um, for a while in college, I was selling, so this was before internet sales. I was selling women's bikinis over the telephone. Um, I mean, I did I only lasted a couple weeks. And um, I didn't you know, I didn't know anything about women's sizing nothing, and so I would just be sitting there and a phone would ring and a woman would tell me that she was looking for a bikini. And I would stumble through trying to help her figure out what size. And I mean, I still have no idea about any of that stuff, really. So um, I think I was there about two weeks. And then my supervisor was like, I don't think this is working out.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. I was trying to get a job as a journalist when I was younger. And I forget even what the thing was, but I think it's like a fashion magazine. And somehow I got... meeting and it was a lunch meeting and like i was clearly not dressed for the occasion i was like skater shoes ripped jeans t-shirt not this not not my right side and this 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 woman took me for a fancy lunch and you know when you're bullshitting and you stop believing your own bullshit that's when you know you're in trouble (laughs) that's when you know you can't fake it to anyone else (laughs) if you can't fake it to yourself you're you're done they can see it in your eyes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. And looking forward to seeing you live and hopefully see you again soon.
1: Thank you, brother.
0: That was Michael Taylor on 101 Part-Time Jobs. His Golden Messenger's new album, Jump for Joy. you got to say it like that. Can't say Jump for Joy. That's all quietly blowing it. That new album of his is out tomorrow. It's going to be brilliant. Can't wait to wake up and give that a jam. I'll be back next week with new episodes. Cheers for listening. If you're able to leave a couple of words as a review or leave a five-star rating, that helps me and 101 part-time jobs massively. All right. See you later on. Ta-ta.